morning, all of you food fanatics out there. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And we're going to be bringing you a variety of, of old traditions yeah. in the food world made new again and available um, around the world. And we're going to start with a, a duo, Raffi Vartanian and Patrick Johnson, um, who started a company called Zeba Foods, which is a healthy, healthful, I guess is a better word for it. Um, and the, the, the food comes from Afghanistan, although the guys, as we're talking to them, are in Italy. <laughs> yeah, it's very confusing. And yeah. uh, not, not to be confused here by the fact that, I guess, several, several months ago we did, a, we did an interview all about, specifically about saffron. Saffron from Afghanistan. And, but, there, but there's a whole lot more that comes from Afghanistan, and we, and we enjoyed it all, and I, oh, yeah. I, I ate it up before I ended. So, so well, he, let's, let's listen yeah, to Rafi and Patrick. Well, now, listeners, listen up to this. We're going to be talking to Rafi Vartanian and Patrick Johnson, co-founders and CEOs of a wonderful company called Zeba Foods. Um, they are not in the U.S. They are not in um, with any of their offices around the world, and they are in um, near Lake Como. <laughs> and and their product comes from Afghanistan. Now, did you get all of that? <laughs> Welcome to On the Menu, Rafi and Patrick. I've, Thank you very it's, much. It's complicated. <laughs> now, now, did you say hello to George Clooney? While you, while yeah, you know, right. <laughs> We, we see his house, but we haven't run kind of into him area? yet. We haven't run into him yet, but we we uh, we see his house all the time. <laughs> oh, you do? Okay. Well, I bet, I bet he has a big house. Huh? He, he does. State, yes. Now, um, the your story is kind of complicated, but you're going to simplify that for for our listeners, Rafi and Patrick. Uh, sure. You're going to tell us, like. When, why, where, for Zeba Foods? So I'll, 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 I'll take a crack at this, Pat, and then you, you fill in some of the gaps. But, you know, I, I would say to, to simplify it, and, and, and thanks for having us both, both you guys, Peter and, and Anne. But I, Delighted. I, um, um, you know, we're the co-founders, and I, Patrick, my co-founder, we have two other partners, an Afghan-American gentleman, and, and, and uh, another American based out of New York. So we're, uh, we're first and foremost friends, like-minded in our sort of views in the world with an arm in development, an arm in industry, whether in finance or logistics or, or power generation. But we love food. And we wanted to kind of marry these three passions, sort of sitting around having dinner together in, in, in kind of 2014, 2015, and bring these passions and skills together and to highlight some incredible products that haven't really seen an export market in 30 years and have a lasting social impact in the process. Ziba, which, which means beautiful in Farsi, um, looks to, we're looking to reestablish Afghanistan as a world-renowned producer of dried fruits and nuts. It's a position it held in the 1970s, but you know, a lot of that faltered after the Soviet invasion and then the Civil War and, and, and the Taliban and, of course, the you know, 2001 invasion and so on. And we can talk more about this later, but it, it, and the meanwhile, 
it became supplanted as a world leader by, ironically, Central California, by, by immigrants from Afghanistan, from Armenia, from Iran, and now sort of run by, by huge conglomerates. And, and so in that process, we've been able to find some, some incredible products and learn a lot about sort of the, the, the natural wonders and varieties that, that really haven't seen the light of day in, in, in many, many years. Now, Afghanistan, as a, as, a, as a country and as a, as a place, goes back a really long time, back, back to what I guess people call the spice route on the spice road. So it's not really surprising, right. I guess, that you're, picking, that you're finding good products now. But it is, it is a little different well, than it used to be. And, and just exactly being in the foothills of the, of the Himalayas and that Hindu Kush range, your, the, the valleys, each of them just has completely unique profiles of soil and water and, and those combinations, which is exactly what you need for for, for, for these type of products to really mature and take on their own flavors and styles. And, I mean, um, almonds alone, that's, a, that's something that we're, we're fascinated about from, from the start. I mean, there's 109 documented varieties of, of almonds. We really? And I, I always Western understood the, the uh, <laughs> almond capital to be California. They're the largest. Well, it is now. It is, it is the largest producer, but of just a couple of varieties. Right? Nothing, you know, it was all homogenized over the course of 30, 40 years to create a uniform size and shape, um, mainly to be used as an ingredient to just have fixed sizes that you guaranteed there would be no bitter almonds. The, the, the African varieties which we've tasted and tried have, have ranged like bitter pointed well, absolutely. They sort of, you know, it can be used not only for the, you know, confectionery process to make marzipan, etc., but, but, but all sorts of other, 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 other uses. Uh huh. Now, um, I told you we recently interviewed someone in Chicago, who is um, Afghanistani and imports saffron. Um, he and his mother work together to import saffron, and working with the individual farmers. And he has a mission to actually uh, help raise raise up the um, the quality of life uh, for these farmers by paying them better and giving them a guaranteed outlet and so forth. Do you have any kind of a mission attached to your to um, that kind of mission attached to your company? Yeah, we do actually. Um, it, it's sort of multifaceted, and we we kind of uh, learn as we go. But one of the founding missions that Ziba had was that we were going to try to break the cycle of um, of uh, agriculture for Afghan farmers, where um, uh, product is very often taken on consignment by traders. So farmers will essentially give the product to a to a trader who will then export it usually to Pakistan or to India, um, and then they'll come back and pay the farmer months later. And very often what oh, happens dear. is they, they say, they say the, uh, you know, the market was soft this year or the product quality wasn't quite what you promised, so oh. here's 60 cents on the dollar versus what we'd promised. Now, that doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen a lot. And so one of the founding missions of Ziba is that by building our factory in Kabul, and keeping our production very, very close to the, the farmers themselves, we pay 
for product when we receive it at the factory, as soon as it passes our inspection uh, for quality. So as soon as the quality matches what, what we've asked for and what they've promised, the farmers get paid in cash. Um, so basically farmer pay in advance. This is um, uncommon in Afghanistan, and it's something that will have a, you know, it has an immediate um, beneficial impact on the farmers we work with. So that's absolutely something that we, we've had as a founding, really since day one. And now you we, work it with individual farmers? We do, yeah. Not, not always. So the farmers are, and there's, there's many, many of them us, uh, throughout the country, and we buy from 12 different provinces depending on the product. So wherever possible, we get as close to the source as we can. So for a product like almonds um, uh, up in the north, of the country, we're able to work very often directly with farmers, and um, even we have a project that has been funded uh, by the International Trade Center, which is a UN organization funded by the European Union, and that project aims to uh, work with farmers to improve their uh, growing techniques, including the use of uh, natural and organic inputs for their agriculture products. So we're working on a program with them. And uh, uh, and then in other cases, it's um, it, you know we're still relatively young. We we do buy uh, products from long-established traders who usually trade in the domestic market. We work with them to get the quality that we want, and we have a, a good network of trusted relationships. And very often, the traders that we work with are more like village elders, so they may represent oh, really? a group of farmers. They may re- yeah they they're not really the ones who would buy and then export and, and, and resell that I mentioned earlier. These, these are very often representatives either of formalized um, sort of uh, cooperatives or really just aggregators from, from farmers in the region they come from. Yeah, well, we were talking about uh, our mutual friends, uh, Ethan and Ori, Burlap uh, uh, and Barrel, and uh, they run little profiles in their newsletter about some of these um, these farmers that I mean they're such small operations you wonder how they can survive yeah yeah we work with some farmers who may only have a dozen almond trees for example oh wow yeah, yeah. it can be really small now is, isn't there isn't there another product of Afghanistan that's really kind of frowned upon I mean, where, where does that where does that fit in relation to the to the uh, products you trade in I'm talking about the thing that has red flowers. Opium. Yep, of course. Um, <laughs> Rafi, do you want to comment on the opium trade and our, our kind of our? Uh, it's, you know, it's not something we've ever seen. It's that 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 product is grown in very very different areas, and it's oh, uh, yeah. yes, oh, okay, all right. Very remote, yeah, it's much very more in the south country. And, uh-huh. and 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 frankly, I mean, if we're if we're honest, I think a lot of the investment that's been made in, in the developing world around curbing the production of opium, et cetera, uh, by replacing it with crops like uh, higher value crops like, like almonds and pistachios and, and, uh, and pomegranates, et cetera, what inevitably ends up happening is that they're just grown all alongside. So it's, it's, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is something that I think is, 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 is there and, and is just sort of an unfortunate reality these days. But, we are hoping to sort of provide alternatives. But, again, a lot of our – on the drive through the nut side, a lot of it doesn't sort of get into those areas. We haven't really had an issue, I think. Uh, um, and, and I've never seen this pistachio 
what did you call it? The the little nub. Baby pistachios. Yeah, I never saw those before. Yeah, they're just um, you know, a lot of the Iranian, Iranian varieties of pistachio, and from that part of the world, the Central Asian region, they they are a lot smaller. Um, and the, it just happens that the ones that we buy in Western Afghanistan and to a certain degree in Northern Afghanistan as well, um, they're that size naturally. And uh, the, the, we think the, the flavor of one of those baby pistachios is three or four times greater and better than, than a regular large pistachio you might see in the market. Just our view yeah, it. It, it, it has this intensely green color in the center as well. So it just, you know, pops on a plate from a topping perspective or, you know, we've seen it, you know, a, a coating ice cream to just sort of being included in salads or when making pistachio milk, uh, um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really stunning, stunning hue of, of green. Sweetheart, tell them, what, tell them what you concocted the other day. Oh, with the, uh, the radishes. I did radishes um, with um, roasted radishes with pistachios. And some kind oh. of... Sounds great. Some kind of we vinegar, a, wasn't it, then? Yes. We can put that um, on our recipe page. That would be that on yeah. the website. That's great. That's oh, a great. Good. It sounds delicious. If I could remember <laughs> quantities of what I did. I mean, basically, I just took the um, and chopped into reasonable size pieces the radishes that were um, a couple of different kinds, and then um, I coated it with um, some, a little bit of olive oil. I threw in the pistachios. And threw in, um, what seasoning did I use on that? Another kind of seasoning. Oh, and, and, and um, no, that wasn't the black. Oh, garlic, garlic and something. And then I put them in the oven and roasted them with salt and pepper. And it was great. <laughs> yeah, 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 were the, were the pistachios uh, roasted or they were, they were raw pistachios that, that roasted? No, they were roasted. The they were raw. They should actually, I, I just put in some extra uh, salt. Um, to compensate, because basically I think that the salted pistachios would have worked better, but the way I cooked them, it was okay because they got roasted as well as the radishes. Now, so. now eating them, eating them was a challenge. Yeah, so that's my, my, my solution was to was to pick pick them out of the tray with my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I referenced the pandemic, but it was actually beforehand. So Pat, Patrick had the foresight of um, infusing some some local gins with our with our figs from Kandahar, and, oh, that and was tur- turning those into after about how many days of, of, of the fifty sixty days, and then making these wonderful uh, fig, um, figronis fig with them. I love that name, Figrodis. That's wonderful. Um, how did you guys learn to do all of this? Well, we, um, as Rafi mentioned earlier, we, we do, as the, the founders all have kind of a diverse but complementary set of backgrounds. So my, my background is in distribution, um, the distribution business in the power generation sector. But I, I did a lot of work in, in uh, frontier markets like Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan, okay. um, Pakistan, places like that. So I was familiar with operating. I was also a Peace Corps volunteer years ago in uh, okay. West Africa. Because it's not easy so to, in, to just walk into these countries and, yeah. and start something like this, not being yeah, even yeah. a native speaker probably. So yeah, he, yeah. He, it was, um, he's that that, that lent itself. Award. The what was Sorry? that about? You're a Latter-day Clarissa Ward. Oh, that's very kind. 
Clarissa. Maybe overstating it, but <laughs> but um, yeah. So I had a bit of experience in the developing markets and uh, and in distribution. Rafi has a background in sort of shipping and logistics. Um, we have uh, uh, another of our founders is um, an Afghan. He, he grew up in Afghanistan and, and emigrated. Uh, really, he fled Afghanistan um, in the in the early 80s when the Soviets invaded. So he was uh, sort of one of the original Afghan refugees from that era. Ended up in the United States and then later went back and established a, uh, a business in Afghanistan. So he had kind of on the ground experience. Oh, as that well. would be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, I had in the a, early days when we were building a factory. I, I had a friend who, um, well, her the reason she ended up in Afghanistan is uh, it's kind of complicated. But I'll just tell you that she was living in Kabul when um, we were living in Australia. And uh, she invited us to visit her in Kabul. And this was just at the time of, um, it was early 70s. And, um, yeah, about 73 or something. And I, I, I had her address. All the political stuff got in the way so that I wasn't going to, to go there. But I had a little address book and put that her address in Kabul in there. And I think that that's the reason why I, coming back into the United States, I was, in Los Angeles, I was strip searched. <laughs> probably. Yeah, I mean that's probably yeah, I, what I was, it was. I was in, I was innocent. I was just standing right next to her with a with a duty free camera around my neck. With a good clearing. And he didn't get yeah, the the, the, the stamps on our she, passport and uh, the what passport. No, I'm saying the, the the stamps on our passport over the years certainly has always raised some eyebrows when when oh, yeah, returning right. back to the states, but it's, sure. it's, it's getting a bit more normal. <laughs> now, uh, one of your products I was really surprised by was um, I remember I go back a long ways. I remember when we were all uh, eating kernels from apricot seeds, and yep. and as a cure for cancer. But then they decided yeah. they they had cyanided them and they weren't very healthy. But you yeah, have a, right. a you have one you have that product. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned earlier that you, that, about bitter bitter almonds. In fact, yes. apricot kernels and almonds are all part of the same family of groups. And what makes an, a bitter almond bitter is the same thing that made apricot kernels bitter. Um, it's the same compound. It's called amygdalin or B seventeen. It's it's it was rumored for a while to have um, nutritional properties when it came to fighting cancer and things like that. Largely uh-huh. disproven since then, and in fact, amygdalin, when ingested, does convert to cyanide in the body. But um, that's why, generally speaking, people don't eat a lot of bitter uh, bitter almonds. Yeah, they eat but it's almonds. legal. It's legal. It's though. legal because what we're the variety that we buy are um, genetically sweet apricot kernels, just like sweet almonds. It just happens that in Afghanistan, those are relatively common. In the rest of the world, almost all the apricot kernels you find are bitter varieties. So these Afghan varieties that we buy are sweet. So you're essentially eating a variety of almond, at least from the same family. Uh With a different texture and different flavor flavor profile, but it also doesn't have the, the, the compounds that would may have those right. those sort of magical health benefits, you know, sort of proven or not. So it, it, it is it has other health benefits, of course, I mean, in terms of 
so omegas and, but and, it, and other, other well, vitamins. And importantly, it, it won't turn into cyanide in your body. So that's a good thing. Well, as money as I was eating, I guess I would have been really sick of the bad. No, kick off the kinds of other products you have. You've got almonds, a variety of almonds. You've got um, dried figs, which are wonderful, by the way. Um, Thank you. you have Thank you. the uh, apricot things, the pistachio. Um, the white mulberries. You if you, if you, were you able to have the white mulberries? It's a really unique product. I don't know that I no, have. I think we the, the, oh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll remedy that. But um, mulberries, I'm sure you're familiar with. And there's, again, many, many varieties of them that you may find all over Central Asia, all around the world, really. But um, the white ones are particularly unique and particularly rare and often only sort of um, um, have a harvest period for about a week or 10 days in um, early July. Um, and they're not really, so, uh, they're not farmed. Yeah, they're, they're, they're right. wild products. They're wild. They're, 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 they're foraged instead of, oh, they're foraged, you know, there's no, yeah. com- there's no commercial agriculture in Afghanistan, which is one of the advantages the products have because the quality hasn't been diluted through mass production. Um, but then there, to go a step further, products like our pistachios and the mulberries actually are wild grown. So they're forage rather than even really being farmed at all. So uh, that, that makes them even that much more special. And are there and, bunches of additional products that you can turn your attention to in Afghanistan? There, there are several. We, um, you know, we, in addition to the, the, the retail line, where we have, as you mentioned, almonds. We have one variety that is really nice roasted and salted. We have another variety in the retail line called Gurbandi, which is uh, nicer raw. So we sell both of those. And then on the food service side, we get to play around with some extra products because it's low, qu- low quantity, low volume, very high quality for a very specific market in high-end and fine dining and things like that. So we sell another variety of almond there called a Satarbai, which is actually got a very thin shell, almost like a peanut, and you can crack it with your hand. Yeah, I like um, that. And so, yeah, and then we have a we have a variety of raisin called kishmish, which is a oh, long yeah. green, Raisins very very too. delicious, juicy raisin. So, um, yeah, we're we're always playing around with new products and also experimenting with product mixes because one of the next things on our list for product launch is going to be mixes. So, for example, the mulberries and the apricot kernels mixed together is really an amazing mix of sweet and salty. So we're playing around with mixes and playing around with different ideas all the time. Well, it sounds exciting. Um, Have have you tried cocktails? Any more cocktails? It seems Uh, seems um, like some of these would cry to be in cocktails. Yeah, yeah, we've, um, uh, we've done... We've done infusions with the figs, as Rafi mentioned, for the, for the figronis. We've also done some with uh, raisins, and um, I'd like to try to make some mulberries. Uh, mul- mulberry, yeah. Rafi has an idea for the mulberry brandy. I think. No, we, we, mulberry. Had done, uh, mulberry. we had done the, oh the mulberries in, in, um, in with a sake. Um, oh yeah, cocktail right. a, a couple of years back. I'm trying to remember the exact components, but it, you know. Probably had too much of it. That's why. Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm, my mind is kind of boggled over the fact that you have all these plans 
and and good good directions of where you want to take all of this, and yet the situation in the, in the country is so tenuous. How do you deal with this? Uh, Rafi, you always speak well on this about you know the length of the Taliban regime. We don't want to we don't want to uh, um, I think um, downplay sort of I think the concern that you know our team has. We have 18 full-time employees there. We're working with farmers a long time, or you know, everyone generally. But we have a you know, extremely committed team that's been with us since day one, since we built the factory, and even before in some cases. And, uh-huh. and, 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 and since 2015, there's certainly concern. I, I think one, the, the counter to what may or may not happen is, is that we also forget that the Taliban was in power for, for five years, you know, 1996 to 2001. Um, so it's been almost 20 years with them not in power. And the population of Afghanistan that, that is under the age of 18 or even on the other age of 25 is, is 60, 65%. I think that number goes even higher when you look at just Kabul, which is the capital where the you know, concentration of the population lives, you know, at, at four, four and a half million people. These are a group of people who have jobs, who have access to the Internet who have, and TV and everything that, that everyone else has access to and looking for work and have the same ambitions that never knew a world, even maybe if they were one year old or two years old, and that's it, where the Taliban was in power. Of course, they know who they are and speak to their parents. So there is not going to be this sort of sweeping return because 2,500 troops that were there today and are not there in three months, you know, from the U.S. side. It doesn't mean that, that, that uh, I, I, don't, I don't read that um, decision by, by President Biden to, to mean that there will be no longer support for Afghanistan in any way. And so well, he um, has said we have to remain hopeful, support. you know, Absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, we're supportive of, of what the country has to offer, of the farmers, of our team, of, of everyone else. We're, we're, you know, excited to sort of see them get through this. this yet, yeah, fortunately, yet another sort of going to be a, probably a difficult year or two. Well, well I, I wish you nothing but the best at this point because your product is good. You have a great attitude. Your mission is wonderful. Uh, again, listeners, you should check out do uh, you have a website? We do. It's zebafoods.com. I have that somewhere. And um, Zeba Foods, okay. Zebafoods.com. Listeners, yes. check can, it out. You can, thank you. Thank you. You can order online. You can, you can sort of see more about our mission and story there as well and, and also find out where what store nearby is, is carrying it if, if, you know, hopefully if people return back to shopping in person. So. And in the meantime, you can sh- find us on Amazon.com as well. We're, we're on there. Got to be on Amazon. Great. Is there any place Amazon isn't? <laughs> I, they're they're part, of the, part of the ecosystem right now, if not the whole ecosystem. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, well, boys, what a, fan, what a fascinating story. Come, come, yeah. back, come back and give us an, another installment not too long from now when you, can be our report on the, when you can report on your continued success. Yeah, and, and these products are really superior, listeners, because um, well, they are, but for the reasons you're listening to, um, they, they've been awarded um, medals by the Specialty Food Association. I mean, it's top-of-the-line stuff. So... And you're top of the line guys, Rafi and Patrick, new friends, great. 
Thank, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. And be warned, if you open a bag, you won't close it. You'll just finish it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> luckily, That's luckily, luckily, it's good for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, okay, we didn't mention, it's also very healthy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Have a rest of a good day in, in Lake Como. I miss Thank it. Thank you so much, Thank you, Peter. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Listeners, each each one of the treats from Zeba was more of a treat than the one before. Yeah, and helpful. Mm-hmm. Don't forget the help. Yeah, helpful too. But things things fabulous things like uh, what what do they call those? Myrtles, myrtle myrtle berries. Mm-hmm. When, when have you had a myrtle berry? Yeah, never. <laughs> when, when, when did you last have a dried fig? When when, when, oh, when, did, when did you last have apricot pits? Well, that's another story. <laughs> lots, lots and lots of excitement from Zeba, but we, we need to take a break and then we'll be right back. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Next up, um, we're going to be talking to Thomas McGee of Wildcat Imports and specifically about orchards of Layla olive oil. Now, this all might sound confusing until you realize that Tommy, as he likes to be called, um, married a, a, a wonderful Lebanese woman and has spent a great deal of time in that country. And, and got to know some of the treasures that they hold. Um, in fact, you might not think of Lebanon as a major olive oil producer, but it turns out, according to Tommy, that yeah. it actually was found, that we yeah, discovered yeah. it was. It was, actually pretty much, it was actually pretty much invented there. Yeah, well, I don't know if you call it invented, certainly. Um, that's the first olive oils came out of Lebanon. Well, let's listen uh, to Tommy. Yes, we're talking to uh, Thomas McGee. We call him Tommy because that's his preferred uh, uh, method of or mode of address. Um, uh, his company is called Wildcat Imports um, that, uh, slash Orchards of Layla. Um, Tony, I forgot to ask you when we talked before, um, what the Wildcat Imports means? Why that? Oh, why that is um, I actually attended Villanova, um, and so as oh, I was looking for me, okay. um, to uh, uh, start a company with, you know, I have such fond memories. I follow the basketball very closely, and so um, I decided to make that my, my company name um, just because I was going to be looking to import a few different items. Uh, I, got, I very much lucked out on the first uh uh, shipment and was able to partner with someone who was able to make me their brand representative for Orchards of Layla. So Orchards of Layla is the brand that, uh, of olive oil that I'm selling, but I'm importing it through Wildcat Imports. And you, well, you know, you it's, it's quality yeah. product. Um, but you were telling me, the give us the evolution of this idea to jump from banking to importing olive oil. 
yeah, sure. So I, I yeah, I graduated. I worked um, just over a decade in banking and was feeling a little worn out and looking for something new. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a world traveler. Um, my wife uh, and my whole that side of the family through my wife is Lebanese. Um, I'm a enthusiastic home cook. Uh, I do all the cooking at home. Um, and I was sitting in uh, Whole Foods one day, you know, shopping. Um, and I always like to try all the different olive oils on the shelf, you know, find out which ones I like, uh, which <laughs> ones are the better ones. And I, having been to Beirut, uh, I know how good their olive oil is. Um, it's sort, sort of sidetracking a little bit. Not many people know this, but the Lebanese were the ones who originally invented olive oil. We're, we're talking a couple thousand years ago um, with the Phoenicians. And so I'm, um, they, they know how to make it very well. Um, they, I, I find it to be second to none for my personal tastes. Um, and then, I, so I'm sitting in Whole Foods and I'm seeing all these olive oils. I'm seeing olive oils from Greece, from Italy, from Spain, Tunisia, Israel, Palestine, and I just don't see any Lebanese olive oil. And I, you know, a company like Whole Foods and other high-end grocers, um, they look, they look for quality products. And I thought, if I find the right olive oil, I could stand out on the shelf just with all of these other great brands. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a history that goes back. Is it the oldest? Um, it is. It, 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 um, olive oil started in the Levant, which is like uh, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, right. um, Palestine, Israel. Um, so yeah, they were, they were just historically called Weren't they, weren't they historically called Phoenicians? Yeah, the, the Phoenicians. And they, and, were, they, they were the, gra- and they were great traders. Yes, they were. They, all, all throughout the Mediterranean, they sort of brought the olive and the olive tree and olive oil through uh, to, um, to Greece, to Italy, to uh, Ma- uh, Macedonia, to um, Spain, and all these. And, you know, over thousands of years, it just became part of the culture for all, all these countries. They also traded in lots of other things like like mineral ores and that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, so and also lumber, the, the Lebanese cedar, were some of the best uh, trees for shipbuilding. Right. And, and there also, well, we were discovered that the, their wines are pretty great. Oh, they are. The, the wines are phenomenal. Um, never hear about them. Yeah, you you don't. Like, they don't uh, export a lot. I guess it's like similar to, um, you know, like Croatia in that, in that matter. Like it's just kind of these hidden gems of of places that produce great wine. Um, I, I could be mistaken, but I, I someone once told me that it has a very distinct granite taste. Uh, the wine there, because it's one of the few wines in the world, if not the only, where the the grapes get their um, moisture and water from the runoff of the mountains. Um, compared to actual rainwater, and so it has a very minerally taste to the wine, but I, I also find it delicious. <laughs> the important thing is it tastes good, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, 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 before, before we came on the air, listeners, I was mentioning to Tommy that uh, we had a delightful dinner in London, of all places, at a Lebanese restaurant, and the first the meal the meal started off with about fourteen or fifteen different appetizers. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah the menu. The I'm sure they'll have the the hummus, the tabbouleh, the fatouche, uh, yeah. all of it, and, and, and stuff yourself. And the, 
and the wine the wine was just as good as the food. Yeah, exactly. Oh, the wine was wonderful, yeah. And no, that it, was the first time I had ever had wine from there. But, yeah, um, it's a, it, it's a beautiful just, culture, and, and you know, just, and just the, the most welcoming, friendly people who want to wow you and put everything in front of you. It, it really, the food is just spectacular there. Yeah, and they also are good at belly dancing. <laughs> yeah, they do like to dance there. Yeah, I I had a once upon a time I had a um, a Greek restaurant in Philadelphia at Second and South, and um, it, we had a belly dancer who I think made more than we did as <laughs> investors. No, no, tell me, he's he's, he's Aleppo in Lebanon. Uh, Aleppo? No, that's uh, Syria. Syria, okay. It's, yeah. It's almost, almost kind of right next door, though. Yeah, I think it's very close to the border, like near, near the, uh, up near um, the, the northern side of Lebanon. And kind of historically connected, probably too. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's unfor- like there's some unfortunate circumstances going on in that side. Uh, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, oh, yeah, but you know, that, like um, I, when we go over there, we have quite a few friends that are also Syrian that are now in Lebanon and there there's a um a great kinship of culture between the two like but it's it's so funny that you go around the region you know you go to Jordan you go to Syria um and it's all Middle Eastern food but everything has a very distinct um yeah well we were talking it. about that is it yeah. it's not only is it like geographically where it's located um even if you just say overview middle eastern they're individual yeah. not only individual countries but individual yeah. families and i just read an article in our local daily paper about um, a lebanese family doing a television show for mother's day because there was okay. the mother every now she was the grandmother her daughter and and two granddaughters and um one of the the signature um, dishes in Lebanon is tabbouleh, which I always knew you took fistfuls of parsley and and they only use in their recipe, they had it printed, a few sprigs of parsley. Oh, interesting, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, everyone there is going to have their own take on it. Um, You'll go village to village even. Um, Friends of ours... uh, some recipes that are just staples of a family or, or a village, um, you know, 50 kilometers away, they'll have never heard of it just because it's so unique. Uh, I guess mm-hmm. just because the recipes have been passed down generation to generation. And, you know, it's only been in the last 100 years with the mass transit where it was easy to go to get from place to place. And, you know, just the recipes stayed in, in the villages. Now, no, it's sticking, no. sticking in my mind some, somehow that there was a French influence. Yes, in there's a the, yes. Uh, Lebanon used to be a French colony up until the okay, 1940s. Okay, oh, so it was a colony even. Yeah. So, and there's there's a very very strong French influence there. Um, almost, most people you meet there will speak Arabic and French as well as English. Huh. Now, is that reflect? Is that reflected in the cuisine? I, I, I mean, no, French, it, it, French cuisine is not olive oil centric. No, no, it's very much butter centric. Um, yeah. I, I would say it would, they have very distinct uh, uh, food cultures. 
No, it, um, it, sh- it shows up more in the more in the education system, uh, uh, more okay. in just their connection to uh, their closeness with Fr- uh, France. I know they're one of their main political um, allies uh, uh, worldwide, uh, but mostly for their cuisine, it predates the French. Yeah, my, my well, that's a good way of stating it. <laughs> but yeah. now, this is a young company. I, I want you to give our listeners um, just a hint at the timeline of how young it is. And I want to say that how I uh, heard about you was you won a gold and a silver award. Tell us about the awards. I mean, for a young yeah, company, it was uh, amazing. Yeah, so the company itself is uh, less than a year old. Uh, really, the olive oil has just come to market, uh, was first landed in the United States in early March. Um, I got really lucky as um, I, uh, I reached out uh, on Facebook to the owner of Lebjemko. It's the olive oil that we used to bring home when we would go visit Lebanon. My, um, in, my wife's family uh, serves it in their home, and as they say in Lebanon, if they're serving in your home, you know it's, it's very good olive oil. You know they 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 really pride themselves on getting the best. Um, so I just actually reached out on a Facebook message as I was like trying to get into this venture, and we formed a very good business relationship. Uh, you know uh, where the owner of Lebjenko, who is the producer of Orchards of Layla. Um, agreed to allow me to be his brand manager, basically in the United States, and and sell his brand, represent his brand, uh, and we worked all in 2000, 2020 to make sure we had proper certifications. We wanted to make sure we got uh, certified USDA organic, non-GMO, um, just to help show the consumer what a quality product this was. Uh, and it comes directly from his family's orchard. It's been in his family uh, for 300 years, but the trees themselves wow. date back to those Phoenicians we were talking about. They're still the original olive oil trees from a couple thousand years ago. Um, and so we worked all of 2020. We had, the harvest was um, uh, between September and November, between harvesting and bottling. Um, we ran into... Uh, couple issues shipping, but it was all uh, uh, dealt with, and we were able to land in March, and just so just coming into the market now. Well, I mean, it really must have made a, a big impact for such a young company to win so many awards. Yeah. and, and the, I yeah, think the it's awards, excellent, by the way. Yeah. The awards just came as, as me and Brahim, um, who is the sommelier for Orchard Zalela, um, were working towards bringing it to the United States. He inputted the oil into the uh, shows. And New York's, the New York International Olive Oil Competition, especially, is the world's biggest. It was able to win a gold award for his family reserve, which is actually um, a special olive oil where he does once a year, which will never be the same year to year because he, he's such a good sommelier where he's able to blend um, olive oils from around the region, from different orchards, to make a perfectly balanced olive oil. And in these competitions, they judge the olive oils on fruitiness, pungency, and bitterness. Those are the three categories. And if you are balanced between those three across the board, you win a gold award. And the family reserve that he created this year was a perfectly balanced olive oil. Um, the green label, which is comes directly from his family's orchard, um, just his orchard uh, 
was submitted to Italy and was won a silver award, um, which means uh, that the fruitiness of the olive oil is a little less than the bitterness and the pungency, but it, it is still a spectacular olive oil. Like many people probably don't think of it like this, but olive oil, you can think of olive oil like wine in a sense. Um, you know, there can be great olive oils all around in Lebanon, in Italy, in Greece. Everyone can have great olive oil. Um, it's just a matter of how well produced it is. And he is meticulous in, in his production process to make sure that he is giving the best olive oil. And then, and then after you have either a high quality or low quality olive oil, it comes down to a personal preference of taste. Now, I said to you, it reminded me of Tuscan olive oil. Yeah. The thing, the thing that always surprised me the first time somebody emphasized this for me is that olive is really a fruit. Yeah. But it, see, it seems like more kind of like a vegetable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just within the maybe, texture of the taste, it's, it's, it's not really sweet. Mm-hmm. Now, what kind of production does he use? I mean, we've interviewed so many different styles, including one in southern Spain that doesn't even, um, uh, doesn't even crush the grapes. It just... It sets them out, and, and gravity um, pushes on them and to release their liquid. Well, they put they put big rocks they put big rocks on top of it. Yeah. No, he he uses a more modern method with machinery to to press the olives, but he just uses a first cold press method. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, now you know. I'm just telling you that um, Italy and Spain um, both suffered this year from that um, that late cold spell that really uh, frosted off the, uh, the fruit of the trees. And then I, after that, I read that uh, on, uh, further south in Italy, that mainly was the north in Italy, further south, um, they, they have some sort of a hideous bacteria that turns the the trees, the pictures I've seen, make the trees like ghost trees. They're white. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. Yeah, we, we fortunately haven't had any issues in, in that regard. Um, uh, all reports are that it's going to be a great harvest again this year. Uh, he doesn't use any pesticides or anything like that, so it, it's very hard farming in a sense. Uh, keeping it organic is just... Make, you know, you're fending off disease and, and things like that um, using an all-natural method. But thank, thankfully, his harvest is on track to be as normal as, as usual. Now, people are the producers of olive oil are being made to jump through incredible hoops because there's so much um, forged fake extra virgin yeah. on the market. Tell us yeah, about that was that. also yeah, that was also um, one of the reasons I wanted to get into this business. Is um, a couple of years ago, I, I saw the 60 Minutes piece about the, for, the fraud in olive oil, and you know how how many bottles on the on the shelf are labeled extra virgin, which are not actually extra virgin. Um, mm-hmm. there, there there is a certain there is actually a certain standard, and you know I, I like to be part of um, the process of bringing quality, real, authentic, extra virgin olive oil to the grocery store shelves and providing that to the consumer. Um, you know, it's become a very popular category recently. 
um, as you as you mentioned, like there there is is a focus on authenticity. Um, we we actually have have thought about a few things uh, um, to highlight that. One one being maybe a live stream from the orchards where you know you, you have a QR code on the bottle where you can just put it into your phone. And, really. And Pull pulls up. Yeah, we it, we haven't uh, made the decision on that yet, but that's just sort of one of the one of the ideas, and just sort of to help prove the the quality. Yeah, and that would give buyers confidence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. the the other thing that's really 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 important, and this wasn't, I guess, I don't recall seeing the sixty minutes article, but the the other issue is that a lot of Olive oil is not from where they say it is. Yes. So for, exa- for example, a substantial percentage of the Italian crop actually comes from Spain. Oh, yeah. That's, um, Spain's the yeah. largest olive oil producer in the world. And, uh, yes, and it so, is. So, um, in, I... so instead, of, instead of saying it's a product that's from Italy or it's from Luca, they say packed. Packed in Italy, not bottled in Italy. But yeah. Packed in so Italy. I, I think the sa- that people like to say the status that Italy exports more olive oil than anywhere in the world, but they also <laughs> Im, Im, import more than anyone, and they blend it in, in, in Italy. Um, so, yeah. That, of course, this crosses there. industries. There's a, a town in Italy that is owned by the Chinese, essentially. And okay. uh, so they are able to put on their clothing line, made in Italy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you've, well, you, well, you, you, you forgot, you've forgotten the fact that, that the, there used to be a place in Japan called Birmingham. <laughs> yeah. so, it's, it's, it's all a bit so, of a, sl- a slight, of, slight of hand. So they could, so they could make a product and label it made in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that is certainly one of the challenges going forward is, um, you know, convincing the customer that yours is authentic versus other ones because of there's so you know I feel like every every year or so there's always a story uh, about the the fraud and you know oh, yeah. in the olive oil where either it's um, oil not being labeled correctly or it's being cut by other oils. Um, you, you can never know these things, and so um, you know how, how do you convince the customer to do that? I think th- this is one thing, either maybe putting in um, geographical coordinates or the QR code, like we're tr- thinking about doing, just so that you can see where your olive oil comes from. No, I'm, I don't want to push you out of the moment here, but um, I, with a name like Wildcat Imports, I'm assuming that you have some plans for down the line for other products? Um, I do. So r- right now I'm focused just on Orchards of Layla. Um, you know, we started with the olive oil. Um, I'm actually also with uh, some olive oil soap. Uh, but oh, yeah, that's good stuff, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Very so good. We, yeah, we have six cents with the, the, the soap, uh, which we use the olive oil for as well. It's very moisturizing. Um, he uses a fairly meticulous method that takes a little longer than um, some of the more high uh, production facilities using a cold press, but it keeps the molecular structure of the olive oil and all the health benefits for your skin. But down the line, um, he, he, we're, Orchards of Lale also has honeys, molasses, spices, salt, um, which I plan to start trying to bring in and expand the brand so that it's more of a staple in High-end grocery stores where there's a whole product line. Those are those are the what we're focused on at the moment. Um, after that, you know, 
we'll have to reevaluate and see if there's other products worth bringing over. Do they uh, do dates as well, Tommy? Uh, we don't do dates, but it's certainly the dates there are delicious and something okay, worth thinking so, about so in it, the future. It is a product of the it is a product of the country. I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and also, I, one another reason I, I got into this business was to give back to Lebanon. You know, I, I've sort of been adopted into the community there through my extended family of my on my wife's side, um, and it's the the country itself is going through some serious economic hardship and so oh, yeah. in my yeah, way yeah. I, I would like to give back by helping support some business there and bring dollars and uh industry for them for export and import dollars um into the country well would that's good, good. It would be good to get tourism going, but it's hard, it's hard to get tourism uh, going. How are you going to do that, yeah? When, when most people know what they, what they know about is what Clarissa Ward tells them. Yeah, exactly. On, on CNN. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah the, I think that, that is a, a limited scope of what, and I certainly heard that my first time going over by uh, friends of mine who were worried, but you just go over there and it's just such a beautiful country filled with the most beautiful people. They're so welcoming, so hospitable. And I just think that culture deserves to be celebrated and brought to the United States and highlighted. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, it's true of a number of, um, of parts of the world. I mean, mm. uh, talk to somebody from Palestine and see, you know, what what that situation is like. It's pretty rough. Yeah. It, and then we've interviewed some people who are from Afghanistan and uh, yeah. You talk about spices. I mean, they have so many wonderful spices there. Oh, yeah. And so there's somebody in Chicago importing um, the Afghanistan, um, um, what's it called? Um, when the, what's, what am I trying to think of? Saffron. Yes. Top-notch and they saffron. All, they, have all, they have all kinds of stuff there. Apropos of absolutely nothing other than something that I, I never even mentioned to Anne, but my my stepfather actually spent several years in World War Two, based in Lebanon, and he has he, okay. had, he had old photographs, old brown and white photographs, really, of of the time that he was in Lebanon. Oh, that that was a beautiful time there, where it was, um, the Paris of the Middle East. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow. Well, well, I I have I have this feeling. And this wildcat thing is going to go somewhere, and I, I can re, I can recall the wildcats beating the Georgia Georgetown Hoyas. Oh, about yeah, eighty-five. In the, in the Sweet Sixteen, what, what was what was the name of the coach? Was it Raleigh Massimino? Oh, Raleigh Massimino, quite quite the character. <laughs> See, there you go. I'm, I'm yeah. filled with trivia. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, it, it's, it's been exciting to launch this business. It's um, So far, I think it's been very well received. Uh, we've gotten into, we're, we're based out at a Long Island, um, gotten into about eight or nine. Yeah, no, rather, uh, may, may I mention, you had asked me where Tommy was uh, from, and I said he's living in Brooklyn, but you heard about when he said about, when he said out, yeah. he's originally from Toronto. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Where are you officially from now? Uh, so I was born and raised in Toronto, Canada, um, and I moved down to New York City um, in 2009, and I've been been here ever since. Well, you're in Long Island or you're in Brooklyn? Yeah. 
I was I was in Brooklyn until the pandemic started. I moved out uh, to Long Island, um, out to Southampton. Um, okay, got it. For the pandemic. Yeah, in, in my salad days, we and a bunch of my friends used to always rent a house in East Hampton. And, yeah, but all I can remember about it was that horrible Long Island Expressway trip. You know, everybody. <laughs> It's only gotten worse over the years, but you know, I, I think in, in, in one regard, it's actually been um, a blessing to start the business out here just because there's so many uh, farm stands, a lot of chefs come out here for the produce, uh, and um, you know, I, I've really been embraced by a lot of people who, you know, the, the thing is trying to get a meeting, but once they try it, they love the olive oil, love the packaging, and are happy to put it on their, shel- on their shelves, where I, I thought it was... Although it is still a big uphill battle, I, I thought I was going to have a lot harder. It's just been so well received. It's been just such such it's a it's good product, ride. and we yeah, haven't even yeah. talked about the the cool packaging. You great packaging yeah. as well. <laughs> so I wish you continued success, and I expect to hear great things from you. Thank you. So Adam. again, listeners, it's um, Orchards of Layla, and it's it's. You should start off with what they have now checking their olive oil, which is uh, extra virgin, all, uh, all natural, um, no pesticides, uh, organic, uh, all those things that you want to see on a label these days. What, what about a website? Yeah, uh, the website is just www.orchardsoflayla.com. And spell Layla. Uh, Layla is L-A-I-L-A. Yeah, no, I mean, my... My cousin's name is L-A-Y-L-A. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. Okay, well, the, the very best wishes to you and, and to your Lebanese family. And I appreciate we, it. Thank, thank we, you so we, much. We hope, we, we hope things continue to get better. Thank yeah. you very much. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Tony. All right. Well, there are some more good stories. They're always good food stories. Yeah, well, this, this is an even... More fascinating story. I don't know if those of you caught it on the way through, but there's a particular reason why the olive oil is called wildcat. Oh, right. And, and, it, and it has to do with one of the more remarkable things that ever happened in college basketball in the Sweet 16, where the wildcats, who, of course, Tommy's a big supporter of, actually defeated the heavily favored Hoyas from Georgetown University. And the rest, as they say, is history. But 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 you, you didn't really care about that. Oh, what, sure. what you what you need to do is you need to find a source for this olive oil because it's really splendid. It very very good, and the packaging, the bottling is beautiful too. And we very will special. and we will be back same time same place next week. And until then, bye bye.